So, Don, um, judging by your accent, you are not from Kentucky or Zimbabwe or anywhere else in the world. You're very clearly from the UK. I am, yes. In the past few years, looking at uh, the UK through the lens of the media, whether it be mainstream or alternative, it seems to be um, quite repressive in terms of rules and roads being shut off for the climate and sort of the precursors to 15-minute cities and all of this kind of stuff. Is it, has it gotten as oppressive as it seems to us that don't live there? Or are you still relatively free after this debacle that they called a pandemic? Mm. Um, it, it varies and it varies in different places. So, um, and I'm sure like with here, there are pockets where things are more oppressive and there are pockets where the things are freer um and i know they've trialed the 15-minute cities in oxford which is you know pretty major city and there have been people who've been um trying to uh not go along and sort of not comply so there's definitely a, a growing awareness of the problems and what's going on so um i mean throughout the nonsense as I call it uh, I didn't comply um, and had the situation seemed to be fairly okay and there are other people who just had real problems so it seemed to vary um, but of course being so much smaller space um, there were sort of they could be quite close together and there's there are again, just like with every everywhere, you know, there's sort of different situations, and there in certain pockets there are more freedom oriented people, so they're more likely to not comply, and and it just depends on the oppressive system of whatever's going on locally. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like everywhere, it 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 does vary. So it's, and I think people have asked as well, you know, it sounds like it's oppressive, and I wonder if that's um the media trying to just hype up what's going on to make everyone think oh it's really bad over there so it's it's not always uh, wise to read you know believe what's in the press and it, i mean sometimes even the alternative you know because they're they've still got their ideas of of how to put the information across so it's you know it's it hasn't been too oppressive However, there you know there have been times when it's been really difficult, and you've got to just navigate where you are. Much of the alternative media, um, unfortunately, also relies on sensationalism, right? So we think, oh, there's mainstream media where everything's fake, so therefore the alternative is giving us everything that's real. But clickbait works on both sides, right? Oh, absolutely. You know? So it's like you have to really, I think, develop a fine sense of um, discernment to be able to navigate your way through the truth versus falsehood of the world. That's, and that's why I asked you, you know, I, if I hadn't, I haven't been to the UK in ages, but when looking at it through either lens of the media, I think, oh man, this looks like it's getting really bad there. What I remember, and we were just about to talk about this before we started recording, um, when I was going there quite a bit in the early to mid 2000s, uh, one thing I did notice was that the geoengineering program at that time was out of control. I mean, it was it was I mean, it was hardcore in Los Angeles where I lived at the time, 
But I remember being in the UK and just going like, oh my God, it is just nonstop. You wake up with a semi-clear day and by two in the afternoon, it looks like a cloudy day when it's not naturally so. And you can just see them whizzing across the sky over and over again where there are no airports and no normal commercial travel patterns and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, God, why do they, why do they want to hammer this particular piece of land so bad? Yes, um, there are some days where the, the sky is just crisscrossed, you know, um, and very occasionally we get some nice weather. One of the things, of course, is because, uh, you know, the England's famous for the, the weather being a little bit cloudy or drizzly or rainy or whatever. So when there's cloud cover, of course, you can't see them. And sometimes when they part, you say, oh, there, there they up in up in the sky. Um, so uh, I think it's been pretty persistent, which is, you know, annoying, um, to say the least. Uh, but in various, I, I think it's been pretty widespread. Uh, and it's not just in certain pockets. I think it's been pretty widespread around the country to for, for people. And it's, it, in a way, it's good because it's uh, got people to see what's going on. And yet there are some times when you look up and the people just walking around, you know, looking at their phones as usual or well, yes, looking at their phones and you want to kind of try and encourage them to go like, look up, look up. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's certainly you could sit there and uh, point at the sky, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it has been, it has been pretty crazy and it is nice. No, it's more than nice. I mean, it's wonderful when you, the occasional clear blue sky as, as we have today here, um, it's pretty rare and you think, and sometimes it can last all morning and then you start seeing the, trails going across you think oh can't you just leave us alone just for one day please <laughs> so yeah it's it's it has been and i don't know why they're targeting the uk particularly i, I mean i know they they have trials of different programs in various places so maybe they've got a reason for trialing that kind of thing in the UK. I yeah, know. it's interesting traveling to different countries. Um, every once in a while, I'll go somewhere and I don't see it happening. Um, most recently in Costa Rica. I was there for a week. I didn't see it once. And I asked someone uh, who's kind of uh, an ecologist and environmentalist of sorts. I said, do you, do you know what geoengineering is? He said, oh, yeah. I said, why don't they do it here? And he said, are you kidding? The people would never put up with it. We're, we're so invested in legitimate environmentalism here as a culture that people wouldn't stand for. And I thought, <laughs> God, that, if that's true, that's incredible. I wish more countries around the world would, as you said, look up and go, no, we're not having this, you know? And even sometimes in Mexico, I've been to Mexico for periods of time and not seen it, India, different places. It's, it's so interesting. Who knows, you know, what their strategy is, you know, it's just trippy. I'll, I'll share something with you as a non-American that I thought was really interesting. Um, being a, you know, a sky watcher for a couple decades now, I'm just going, God, when is this going to stop? Or just noticing on a day, like you said, when you get a break, you know, it's like a wow, cause for celebration that we have a natural sky. Uh, so I was living in Los Angeles and um, right around the time Donald Trump was inaugurated, the spraying totally stopped. And it stopped almost completely for that entire four years and a rare exception, which was exceedingly rare. And so I noticed it, uh, it, it stopped. And then uh, when he was out, it started back up again. I thought that was really interesting. 
you know, and I don't, I don't know if he had anything to do with it or what was, you know, if somebody cut funding somewhere or what was happening, but I thought that was really strange. And it was absolutely the truth because I could see it with my own two eyes, you know, as someone who was paying attention to that, I thought that was really interesting. I've never met anyone that had any insight into that. You know, of course, um, he was kind of at the helm when at the beginning of a, the biggest psyop maybe in history and likely the biggest genocide too. So I think some really horrific things happened under his watch, but for whatever reason during that time, it stopped. And I was like, well, we got that at least, you know, got a break for a couple of years. Yes. And uh, I, you know, you kind of think of, oh, I'm being a conspiracy theorist, but it, I wonder if there was a deliberate policy to not spray and then he could be praised for oh, look what he's done. So I, I don't know, because we know it's not quite the way we're told things are running in the politi- political world. So, yeah. you know, politics isn't what we're told. So, uh, um, or, or as you say, maybe it could be funding going elsewhere into the vaccine agenda, maybe. So, right. you know, who knows? So, <laughs> they just um, come after you another way. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you are saying about the environmental movement, I mean, that was pretty much hijacked from the 70s. Um, you know, there's some genuine environmentalists that was sort of starting, you know, going back to the, um, Rachel Carson, you know, the Silent Spring. And of course, they didn't like that because they wanted to keep their programs going. So they hijacked the environmental movement and turned it into the, the fake green movement and bringing in all their policies. And it's moved into what is the climate change hoax. <laughs> Oh, well, if you don't believe in climate change, you know, you're against the environment. Well, no, I'm very much for the environment, but I know that climate change has got nothing to do with carbon dioxide. Yeah, carbon dioxide is plant food, you know, so it's, it's they just conflate all these different ideas and ideologies and people get confused, which is good for them. Yeah. And because that's exactly what they want. And then people don't start to think. And, and I think the confusion means that they're not going to take action. They're not going to do things. So it's, 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 it's so frustrating when you see all of that. And there's, there's so many things to unpick and, and unlearn. And, it's, and, and it, it can be hard work for people just kind of pick their way through things. So like you say, with the mainstream, you go, well, they're, okay, they're lying. Well, not necessarily all the time. There is sometimes some truth in it. So also the alternative, you get an either-or choice. Well, it's either the mainstream or the alternative. And in truth, it's, well, neither of them are really giving you as much information as you deserve. And uh, so there are always other avenues to look into, other other places to look at. And to just to step back from being drawn into the into the argument, into the dichotomy of, you know, this or that, you know, and there's nothing nothing else, no other options. And so people, you know, it's to help people see that step back from that, see it in a different way, sort of sit with it, think about it, look into it, look into what's really going on, and then see where the truth lies, or in either case, if anything, or look into what's really going on and to really understand what's happening and what you can do, what you can do about it. Because most of the time we're given the idea that we can't do anything about it. And that's also part of how they like us to think, oh, there's nothing we can do. Let somebody else do it for us. It's the, the authority out there, you know, get them to do it for us. And we say, no, there are things that we can do. Well, that's exactly what I want to talk about. 
before we get off of the UK thread, uh, one thing that I think has been really interesting is these um, citizen activists that have been going around and disabling all of the all of the inner city speed cameras and stuff. And if anyone's listening, I'm against this behavior entirely. Uh, but yeah, they're going and buying spray foam, you know, from the hardware store and saws and, you know, as fast as they can put them up in some neighborhood, people are taking them down, you know, which is of course morally atrocious, but, um, highly creative. Yeah. But I, I, I always get encouragement when I see things like that, you know, um, a nonviolent reaction to something that is oppressive and ultimately violent, you know, and on the climate change thing too, it's funny. It's like, any problem that's presented to the populace for which the solution is one version of communism <laughs> can generally tell you that's where your discernment is. It's like, okay, well, maybe there's a problem. Let's look at it. What's the solution being offered? And the same would be true of the pandemic. And, you know, when we know there are other solutions, right? I mean, I don't like pollution. I don't, I do my very best to not create any pollution and leave my campsite cleaner than I found it and all of that, right? But I know that the solution that I can get behind does not have anything to do with limiting people's rights and freedoms. You know, it has to do with honoring and respecting the planet and other people and all of that. You know, so I think that's funny. You could kind of, you can get a hint if something's legitimate by the solution that's being offered. Mm, yes. And when the solution is only what they say we can do, then as you say, it's it's to step back and say, no, 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 no. I can make my own decisions and I'll choose for myself. And um, yes, I mean, there are some interesting actions going on. Um, so yes, and yes, I'm not recommending anything either. Wouldn't, it's just interesting to see. It's more than interesting. It's actually encouraging because it is showing that people are not happy with where they are being led. And they're saying, no, actually, no, no, it's enough's enough. Let's find a different way of living and we want freedom. And, you know, it's it's so simple. The basic rule is do no harm. Don't do anything, as you say. You know, it, there's there's a genuine way to look, off, look after the environment is, you know, to just look after it. Don't poison it. Don't pollute it. And to recognize that we are part of nature as well. If you're harming nature, we're affecting our own lives. If you poison the stream and you want to drink the water you're poisoning yourself so it's it's just recognizing those basic principles of you know being aware of what you're doing and the consequences the impact that you're having and it's not to be perfect either you know because we're still in a transition of learning what how things really work and turning things around in a different way and just looking at different ideas and thinking oh that's possible. I mean, there isn't one other way. There isn't one other alternative. There are as many alternatives as there are people that have ideas. You know, people have, are coming up with some amazingly creative ideas of what to do, how to live, and, you know, living in community, joining together, how to look after themselves. And that's really it. It's, you know, look after ourselves. One of your most noteworthy works is uh, the book, uh, What Really Makes Us Ill, which I unfortunately have not read because I didn't have time to do so before we sat down for this conversation. I like to do my homework normally, but this one, you know, 
I couldn't quite get it in, uh, but I, I do know a bit about you. I, I did study up and I understand that um, you were victorious over a cancer diagnosis and that you interfaced with the traditional medical system and their treatments for it and have um, over the years discovered a lot about the allopathic you know, disease uh, suppression model versus self-sovereignty and taking care of yourself. So maybe you could take us back to the cancer diagnosis and what that experience was like and uh, what you did to heal yourself or allow that system to help heal you and so on. I'll try and give the potty version, but I, um, my mother-in-law died of breast cancer. So I possibly had the, oh, I hope it doesn't happen to me thought in my head. Um, it was about nine, no, eight years later, I had a, you know, you sort of going for the tests and mammograms and things. They found a benign lump, so that was fine in 93. Then two years later, another mammogram showed something that wasn't so benign. I mean, they were very quick at um, kind of getting me into hospital to, you know, have the surgery and then followed by chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and then taking tamoxifen. What I did know at the time, and I still don't know how I knew it, but there was something inside me that said I knew it was something to do with my mindset, how I approached it. So I I didn't fall into the, oh, you know, it's desperate because of what had happened to my mother-in-law at the time, as I say, she died. The I, I, I'm not saying, oh, I wasn't fearful because there was that, you know, I, I had a young child at the time. So it was um, not easy. I, I knew I had to make changes in my life again. I don't know where these ideas were, these thoughts, but there was something within me that I knew I had to make changes. So I made some lifestyle changes. Um, I moved away from sort of... Um, prepared food, processed food. I moved into sort of cleaner food. I was more careful with what I was using in the home, those kinds of things, just making small changes. Um, at the time also, I was interfacing with people who were, um, who'd also sort of had the same diagnosis or not similar diagnosis, sim sometimes similar treatments, sometimes other treatments. And, you know, the support group where you kind of go through the same thing. And so it's, quite nice to have that support and then in the, uh, after a while I thought I'm just keeping in that cancer thing so sort of owning it and it was like no it's it's time to move on get on with my life um so I didn't actually follow any health protocols I didn't do anything specific just being more careful with what I was eating and what products I was using really and just being more thoughtful and knowing not to just allow myself to feel down all the time. It's like find things to do, make some changes in my life. And then I realized I needed to make a particularly large change, which ended, which was ending my marriage at the time. Because I knew that that just wasn't taking me in the right direction. I had a thought of I want to do something useful with my life. And I where I was, I didn't feel I was I mean, now I can say I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. Um, but back then I didn't have the language, didn't quite have the ideas in place. So as a result of making that change, sometimes you close doors and others open. So, so at around that time, I, um, I'll just keep this brief. I, um, 
the um, friend who I wrote the book with, I met, he, he was running a course at the time about the nature of reality. I was introduced to the course. I took the course. It just really drew me. So I learned how to actually then teach the course, uh, which I thought, this is it. This this is me. You know, this is what I want to do because it just really resonated with me, really. Um, it was a, an in-person talk in-person course so you know we had to bring people into the into the center that we were running the courses and that wasn't always easy so we wanted we tried to think of ways that we could get this information out so we turned it into a book and in the process of turning it into a book we were looking deeper how to transform what was a course into into a book form and one of the chapters is called the nature of illness so knowing the idea of, uh, like with the biology of belief, Bruce Lipton, you know, the um, our health is affected by our beliefs. And so we thought, well, how does that work if we've got germs that infect us and make us ill? So we decided to look into what germs were. And that was a, the start of the deep dive into what's, what's the germ theory? What's this all about? And we found that, you know, it's unproven and there's so much evidence from the time of Pasteur when that sort of first came out. Plenty of people writing about the fact that, well, it's unproven and there are other reasons that people get ill. So we thought, okay, this is really interesting. So we just kept diving into all these different sort of so-called infectious diseases. And are there other reasons for people to have these diagnoses. So again, we moved into that, looked into the history of vaccination, also looked into chronic, what are called chronic illnesses and found that there's, they're not quite what we've been told as well. So we just, we just said, we've got to really pull this information in. But the more we looked into it, the more we wanted to kind of make it a complete picture. So that when we started looking into the medical system, how that was set up, how it's run, who controls it, how it works, why doctors don't know what we were finding out. And we discovered that a lot of doctors do. Some of the information is out there. And it was somewhat easier back then because, I mean, the um, the Nature of Reality book came out in 20, 2010. So, so that was when we were then diving into this other research and looking at, as I say, the whole medical system and just finding out how flawed it is and how how it doesn't re- represent how the body actually works. And so um, as well as talking about the real problems, we thought, well, we've got to give people something at the end as to what, they, what can we do about it? Because people are always left with questions. Don't want to say, oh, well, this is what makes you ill and not give them somewhere to go with that, some, something to sort of take forward. So we do have the, the final chapter giving some um, information about what people can do. And a lot of it is actually being aware of the problems and say, well, okay, um, there are problems with these pharmaceutical products. There's plenty of evidence from iatrogenesis, the medical errors, all those kinds of things, that pharmaceuticals don't do what they claim to do. They don't cure you. So one of the ways is to not take the pharmaceuticals or find ways to come off medications if you're taking them. And I will say um, this is not medical advice. I don't give medical advice. There are 
some that are easier to stop taking and some people need help with. So I, I wouldn't suggest for a minute that people just say, oh, I'll stop them. Sometimes people need assistance and support in working through because there are reactions because the, the body gets used to something going in so it then doesn't produce whatever it is nor- that it would normally. So the, the things have to be rebalanced and the body has to readapt to... Um, to to what (laughs) its normal state you know homeostasis it depends on where people are because you know some many people and and this is one of the things I found that so many people are on really large numbers of medications this polypharmacy is called I believe and it's even more horrifying to find that small children babies even are are given pharmaceuticals for all kinds of reasons so um Yes, I mean, there's, it, it covers a broad spectrum, and that's just kind of a very brief overview. But it's it's not just about debunking the germ theory. There's, it's it's the way I see it is it's it's a good stepping stone. I mean, it's it's nearly eight hundred pages, so there's quite a lot of information, and it's referenced so people have got other places to go to to get further information, and the books that that we we read to to bring the information out. So it's it's a stepping stone for people who say, okay, well, what can I do? How, how does this work? So it's a good stepping stone. It doesn't cover everything. It's impossible because that would have been a, a 10-volume an encyclopedia set. set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, 10-volume instead of 10, 10 chapters. So, and, and, and even since it was published in uh, December 2019, just before COVID, there was definitely something working out there. You know, I've learned more in in the past, well, it's nearly four years, isn't it? So I've learned more, and we're still learning more, about water and how important water is, and our bodies are made of water. The fact that heart isn't a pump, that blood is somewhat different. Just as so much more information, and a lot of it is is in the uh, the last two modules of the end of COVID. Of course, if people have watched that, there's a lot of information, which is new information that, that we, we are all still learning to find out just what, what health really is, what vitality is, what we can do about it, how the body actually works. And so there's, there's, it's an ongoing journey of learning. So it's not a finite piece. Um, it is still a very good I think, stepping stone for people who want to know what the problems are and the starting point of what they can do about it. Most of it is taking responsibility for for yourself. Getting older is just one of those things, man. It happens to the best of us, even your humble host. I'm about to turn 53 this year. Yikes. Now, what if I told you there was a way to hack into the aging process and fight back against age-related decline? MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. This stuff is clinically shown to trigger a crucial recycling process within our cells called mitophagy that promotes healthy aging. And it's the first product to offer a precise dose of something called urolithin A, which is a compound derived from pomegranate. Ten years of research shows that it upgrades mitochondrial function, increases cellular energy, and improves muscle strength. 
And you can get your daily dose three different ways. Mitopure's berry powder is great for your morning smoothie, which is my favorite personally. They've also got soft gels, which are convenient for travel. And finally, their delicious vanilla protein powder combines muscle-building protein with the cellular energy of Mitopure to support strength in a brand new way. So here's what's up. Head over to TimelineNutrition.com Luke. Punch in code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month Mitopure plan. Again, use promo code LUKE10 for 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month Mitopure plan at TimelineNutrition.com LUKE. Going back to the pharmaceuticals, uh, as you mentioned, people being on multiple pharmaceuticals, I was trying to think if I've ever met anyone who says, yeah, I'm on, you know, seven different pharmaceuticals and I feel amazing. (laughs) You're never going to meet anyone with that report. And, you know, not to discount all pharmaceuticals. I mean, I take every once in a while, take one and it, it is effective and delivers as promised, you know, but I know many people out in the world are on a number of different pharmaceuticals. Um, and I think one of the inherent problems there is of course that at best, they're treating the symptom and not actually correcting the underlying issue. And the other problem there that's terrifying to me is, of course, there's so much, um, you know, shadiness and uh, the, the fraudulent nature of getting a drug approved and all of the payola. And it's it's like a mafia, you know, the pharmaceutical industry at large and the way that it interfaces with the government and lobbyists. And it's not a trustworthy enterprise in general. But even when they are tested for safety, there is very little to no consideration of how these different drugs are going to interact with one another. It's a similar thing with the in the realm of EMF, right? We know, okay, this frequency has been a- approved to run through a cell tower and blast it over a town or a city, but we don't know the physics of what happens when all of these different frequencies are overlapping and creating, you know, this sort of mutant field that is also non-native, but maybe compounding in its deleterious effects. Right? So I think that's a, a funny thing about the public being presented with technology or you know supposed solutions in the form of pharmaceuticals and that we really don't know what happens when you mix all that together in a gumbo it's a totally different response by the body than just taking something in in its isolated form and the, and the same could be said to some degree for supplements right i'm sure there are probably days i take a bunch of supplements that don't agree with each other and i have no idea because they haven't been tested i'm doing my own testing oh, i feel kind of weird today oh maybe i shouldn't have taken 40 pills this morning without any understanding of how they might interact you know that is an extremely important point that they may be tested for their safety apparent safety and again there's maybe sort of politics and shadiness and different things that happen in order to get approval and some some products are tested in multiple forms so maybe one or two because they're uh, in certain package inserts they'll say this drug is contraindicated with xyz so you might get some information about contraindications there are only sort of certain certain pharmaceuticals that are tested together when you've got somebody who's on many multiples it's almost a hundred percent guarantee that that combination hasn't been tested because they're usually only tested sort of one-on-one or, you know, one with 
certain others or it's 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 a huge percentage haven't actually been tested at all the, the testing procedures are somewhat loose shall we say and they're put out the the way they're tested is just for certain effects and we know that study effects can be uh, cherry picked with certain study results and they kind of oh no those go in the shirt bottom shelf on the bottom drawer and they're never seen again so they're not always oh, all results aren't always made public this is fairly well documented uh, the famous John Ioannidis study, you know, most published results are false, or over half are published. Yeah, yeah published yeah, results are false anyway. Yeah, something like that. So That's again, you're saying, oh, peer, peer review, it's been peer-reviewed paper. Mm. Well, you have to say, yes, but that's not as meaningful as it's supposed to be. Still know. a 50-50 gamble. <laughs> yes, and that's only on a certain drug, and, and they're more and more looking at, pathways rather than anything that's actually going on and most of the time they're not looking at anything that's going on actually in the body because they're testing chemicals in petri dishes and various places in the laboratory and animals are may have similar bodies they aren't the same their systems are slightly different which is why you get cats and dogs that don't that can't that that, that react badly to chocolate i mean I don't know, maybe some people react badly to chocolate, but it's just slightly different. We are slightly different. Although the reason they use uh, mice and rats because they say, oh, well, you know, we're whatever it is, percent similar. Um, and when you get a, an honest researcher, they'll, they'll actually admit that they use mice and rats because they're cheap and easy to handle. And some of the experiments they do are nothing to do with the way the ordinary, well, the the ordinary pathways of, of the so-called disease process. So it's, it's things like infectious diseases, something like rabies that's supposed to be passed through a, a bite or whatever, and then they're cutting up animals' brains. I mean, it's pretty horrific the way they've been testing things. So it's we're given the impression of they're performing science, and that's a very loose way of performing science. And, and again, the, the human body is complex, and the minute you take something out of the body it's no longer in its natural environment so it's already changed so it's it's quite difficult and so they're all the tests that they're performing are probably um within their within the laboratory it's not within a human being even though they'll find a certain reaction or response or something and then as you say test it in animals and think that that is relevant to what happens in the human body another interesting thing about uh the whole model of modern medicine is the presumption that germs make us sick. <laughs> I think that's, we're so indoctrinated with that that I'm sure there are going to be probably thousands of people listening to this that go, no, you're wrong. You got it wrong because I learned in school or maybe even medical school uh, that that is in fact what make us sick. But going back to you know, strictly adhering to the scientific method, we're now learning that there was a whole other school of thought that was about the terrain of the human body, not um, an alien, you know, substance being introduced that's making you sick. Um, and, I, and I've touched on this in a couple of podcasts, the one I did with Andy Kaufman and one I did with Alex Zek before, and I think each of them laid it out in a pretty solid way. But it then 
of course, begs the question, okay, if, if, if we've been led astray by the infectious disease model, yet people are still getting sick, and I'm sure this is you know the large premise of your book, well, then what the hell is it? And of course, this is a huge question on our minds right now because um, we were led to believe over the past few years that people were getting sick from a virus um, that turned out to have a completely fraudulent testing mechanism. Therefore, we don't know. But someone who's kind of been, you know, in the mainstream narrative would say, well, all these people were getting sick. And I would say, well, were they really? Because what happened to the cold and flu statistics over the course of that time? When you look at that, you know, the cold and flu disappeared magically for three years and then came back, you know, uh, and people probably have ridiculous um, uh, rationalizations for why that is the case. But based on your research and your experience over the many years, what do you think are some of the I don't know, the elephants in the room of terms of, you know, why do we end up with these chronic diseases if it's not because we were exposed to bacteria or a virus that hasn't been proven to exist and so on? Uh, there are different aspects to that. I mean, first of all, the the idea that, well, if it's not a germ, what is it? I mean, that that is really common because people want a, a one-to-one correlate. Well, if it's not this one thing, what is this other one thing? And once you start looking into the, the kind of factors that are influence our health, it's always a, a multiple combination. And, and, and there will be different combinations for each person because we boiled it down to what we call four factors. I mean, there are plenty of other factors, if you like, but it's to do with our nutrition, you know, the food we eat, toxicity. So that's huge of course you know all the different toxins we could be exposed to in food water air products that we use clothes that we wear the way they're made different dyes all kinds of things that are that can affect us because so much of it is based on chemicals that are unnatural they're synthetic and so our body will respond to them because the body recognizes they're not natural and so if if they're absorbed because our skin is absorbent and so if products get in again what you put on your on your body if you're kind of putting creams and different things on your body what the uh, the chemicals that they um, contain can actually be absorbed into your body i mean that that's it's a whole i mean there's the chapter on the kind of poisons in our environment are it's it's almost book length that particular chapter uh, and of course, there's EMFs, which I know you are, you've spoken about quite extensively because it's, it's a big problem. And of course, they're from everywhere. And it's, it's also not being scared of everything to say that the body is amazing. It can cope with a certain amount. It's when there's a, an excess exposure. So again, it depends on where you are and what you are exposed to. And the fourth factor is what we call stress, but it's actually far wider than that There's, it was the only word that we could use to kind of encompass that whole psychological emotional sort of spiritual belief system part of it because um stress does affect our health it, it can compromise our health if you're under uh, prolonged stress sorry i mean we have stresses and stress can be something where it's exciting the body sort of you know reacts to being excited but that excitement will go down your body will restore homeostasis it's prolonged stress and of course the last four years have been definitely prolonged stress for many people so it's put a real strain on their bodies so it depletes their body's ability to sort of function normally depletes the nutrients and and it's 
stops the body from being able to do the normal processes of detox and things like that. So, um, and, and I'm the more I'm looking into that factor, the more I'm finding that that that's possibly as big as as the others, and and yet it will be different for each person. So whatever the combination, there'll be different combinations for different people. But within each factor. There's a whole variety. So within toxins, different people will be exposed to different toxins. So within a household, if you have a number of the whole household, household has these symptoms. And again, that that's I'll come on to that because that's something different. Um, it's because they've got common exposures, common uh, they're eating the same kind of food, drinking the same kind of water, exposed to have new furniture, new carpets, those kinds of things. There's off-gassing of chemicals, Those what's um, the materials that are, the house is made of, or it could be next door's Wi-Fi, it could be something that's being sprayed outside because there's a insect insect proliferation. Um, so it's like an insect outbreak and they spray and then say, oh, there's an outbreak of something because every, everyone's body is getting rid of this toxin that they've just been exposed to. So common exposures is probably the main uh, answer to what is it when a group of people become ill at the same time. There is also the other factor, which is uh, the Bruce Lipton biology of belief, that our experiences are affected by our beliefs. And people who read the mainstream become fearful. They're made afraid of this Thing that's out there that can get them and it'll make them ill and they can be drawn into it and absolutely believe it, the minute they have a sniffle or a cough or a tickle in their throat, they think, I've got it. They read the symptoms and their body, and because they believe in it, and they can manifest those symptoms. And if people think that's odd, I'd, I'd suggest that people might want to look up what's called the placebo effect and its mate, the nocebo effect, or its opposite, the nocebo effect, and just see how powerful that is. And you can find that people are responding to um, what are inert. I mean, they're sugar pills. They're inert. They're, they're not supposed to have any kind of physiological effect. And people can manifest all kinds of side effects, symptoms, as a result of taking these pills. And that there are studies that show there's sort of I mean, as well as sort of minor symptoms, sort of vomiting, and if people think they're taking a chemotherapy, the chemotherapy drug, they can they've been known to for the hair to drop, fall really? out, yeah, and wow. and loss of taste and smell, and and that that to me is well, this loss of taste and smell over the last few years has has been hyped up, so suddenly people lose their taste, lose their sense of taste and smell. Now, I'm not saying there may not be real reasons for that to happen. I'm, I'm suggesting that there's another factor is believing in it because you've been made fe fearful. So again, each person will be different. There, there may be real factors. Something could be sprayed locally. And again, there could be a particular geoengineering campaign going on in their area. They may have been intensified. The toxic content of the atmosphere has increased and various symptoms will ensue from that. So that's why you can have clusters of people because something's going on and not, and you wouldn't always be aware. I mean, something like geoengineering, people will be aware of. But if there's a, 
a, a sort of covert spraying program of the, the sort of in the local area, then people may not know unless they're sensitive and they can sort of smell whatever it is that's something new in the environment. Most people probably won't know. I don't know about you, but with all the supply chain disruptions going on, it's getting more difficult to furnish your home with quality products. So if you want to steer clear of sleeping on or wearing toxic synthetic fibers, listen up because I've got a rare line on the good stuff. Cozy Earth has a direct supply chain to responsibly sourced premium viscose from bamboo fabric, which they use to make a grip of amazing home gear. From pillow sheets and blankets to towels and robes and even pants, shirts, socks, and hoodies, this is my go-to to upgrade all things fabric in my home sanctuary. I especially love their bamboo sheet sets. They're super soft, and during these ridiculously hot Texas nights, they help regulate the heat like no other sheets. Plus, their bedding comes in a variety of different textures and blends. They've got quilted, knit, linen, and more to dial in your comfort to perfection. And lucky for you lifestylist listeners, right now they're offering a really sweet deal. Just hit up CozyEarth.com and use the code LUKE to save up to 35%. These guys are so confident you're going to love their stuff that if you're not fully satisfied, you can send back any item within 100 days. And all their bedding, towels, and clothes are backed by a 10-year warranty against pilling, abnormal rips and tears, and workmanship defects. This is really high-quality stuff. So stock up on the goods while you still can with that discount, folks. That's CozyEarth.com. And again, the code is Luke to save 35%. Yeah, like asbestos be one of those, you know, that was just rolled out and you you don't sit in a building and go, wow, it smells like asbestos. I better get out of here, right? And everyone in the building gets sick, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, the, the sick building syndrome, I don't know if you call it. Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah, yeah. So it's people being in the same environment and, and it could be EMFs, it could be, um, you know, new furniture, new carpeting, as I said before. And again, that that might explain some of the um, symptoms that happen, you know, when children return to school because the schools have been cleaned in the during the holidays, especially the summer holiday. I know it's slightly different here. Um, so if they're cleaning the school, they, who knows what they're using? In the last few years, they've probably been really upping the um, sort of antibacterial. And that's, sorry, come back to that. You, you know, these disinfectants, you know, because you've got to really clean everything. And, and of course, they're toxic because they're designed to kill. Um, and that, that was the point I was about to say, because it's supposed to have been a virus. And what they're using in these antibacterial, they're antibacterials, not antivirals. So this isn't a bacterial, it's supposed to be a bacterial thing. And these disinfectants, please, sanitizers, that's what I was looking for, sorry. These sanitizers are antibacterial. So that's, again, it's, hang on, these are the sorts of things that people go, that's an antibacterial and it's supposed to be a virus. That's, that doesn't match. There's a contradiction here. So that's one of the things where you just, nope, there's, there's something off here. So, and the other part is understanding what symptoms are in the first place because the body is brilliant. It doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't suddenly do all sorts of silly things. Um, it looks after itself. The body will look after itself and it's always um, trying to restore homeostasis and um, symptoms are the body's efforts 
to restore homeostasis. It's cl- it's the body's cleansing mechanisms. It's quite easy, sneezing, fever, those those kinds of things, or you know, vomiting, whatever. It's the body's purging, the body's clearing, the body's getting these are normal processes. And the one thing that is best not to do is to suppress the symptoms. I mean, I understand when people are in pain, um, and that can be debilitating, and sometimes you need to stop the pain so you can just manage loss of sense of taste and smell. I think is also part could be part of the body's message to just you know just don't do food today you know oh, just leave yes because when uh, and, and you know loss of appetite is often sort of um, connected to that mm. so that when um, when you're not eating the body's got more energy because the digestive system takes up a lot of energy digesting food so the body's saying no don't put any more in because I need to just deal with what's in there and also conduct some healing. I've got some healing to do here. I've got some processes to to get on with. So that can be a message. And again, it's learning to listen to our bodies, to read the messages, to understand. And this is is a process. This is all part of what we're learning. Oh, here's a message here for my body. For me, I just occasionally I have headaches and I think, ah, okay, it's a message. It means have a rest take some time out, just rest because I, because of what I do and reading and everything and research and looking at the, the screen and everything, it's like that's not so easy when your head's sore. So it's just, okay, take some time out, just go and rest, have an easier day, just back off from what I was going to do. Um, so it's, it's learning those kinds of things of learning about your own body, reading your own body, understanding it and what to do, ha- when to help it, what to do when when's the right thing to take something to help the body so you can keep going and when's time to just know I don't want to keep going because that'll push me so again listening learning and hearing and that requires us to just take everything back to ourselves understand ourselves and again work intuitively sort of sit quietly and think and, and listen, not think, it's listen intuitively to your body and what's going on. It's interesting to the point of loss of taste and smell and loss of appetite. It made me think of pets, right? Sometimes I will try to feed my dog and she just won't eat her food. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while I go, God, it's your favorite food. Eat, eat. Try to give her a treat. Not interested. And she, she might not be displaying symptoms, so I don't put together that, oh, perhaps she's ill or... She's eating something off or just needs time to recuperate. She's innately attuned to her own little body and is going like, nope, no food right now. It's just a natural sort of response. And I think we often uh, are not as tapped in and ignore those things or try to take a medication or something that suppresses a body's natural reaction. It's an interesting observation. Animals are always so much smarter than us in many ways. You know? well, Exactly. Like you can't brainwash your dog. You could try. Uh, maybe Pavlovian brainwashing to a degree, but you know, other than that. Um, another thing I think that's interesting on this thread is okay, taking the germ contagion theory as a myth. So if if we live together in the same household and I've gotten what we would call a cold or flu, then if 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 we're not transmitting these germs to one another, then why do you get sick? And I thought one time about um, 
the phenomenon of women being in close proximity for a period of time and how their menstrual cycles will go into sync. And I don't know that anyone, I've not looked into it. I don't know that anyone's been able to explain why that happens, you know? Or like when we yawn, right? If I'm really tired and I start yawning, you'll start yawning. Do you think that it's possible that um, if I start to get the sniffles and a cough and if, if that is in fact a, the body's own purification system and the body's intelligence knows, okay, it's time to start doing our detoxing of this phlegm or however it's working, that that the other person's body is taking a cue that, well, let's all do this together now? It, it could be, yes. And, and the problem is that there isn't a single answer and it'll be different for different people. So possibly... Um, the sinking with periods, it's, I, I don't think it's anything I remember experiencing and I understand. And it's, I, I think in a way, maybe it's a, a resonance, a bonding, an emotional a sort of connection. It's if these women are getting on well together, there's a, yeah, it's, it's sort of a bonding and resonance. Um, depending on the time of year, as you say, if you get the sniffles, if, it's the time of year that seasons change, humidity, something has changed or my body kind of decides it's time for a purge, then you coughing may make me cough or you snip, whatever it is. So it might, if it's appropriate. Um, the yawning thing is is just so, it's such a good analogy to say, because you, you, you yawn and I might yawn. I mean, does that prove contagion? Did you pass a yawning virus to me? No. I think sometimes when you kind of look at it that way, you think, no, of course it's not a yawning virus. There is some kind of sympathetic something with with us. We are connected. We are connected through consciousness. We are not kind of separate blobs in this random place. This nothing is random. We are connected. So... Um, I don't know, sometimes, you know, we sort of come out in sympathy with people. I mean, if, if somebody's really sad, um, it can make you sad when they tell their story, it can make you sad. Or it can actually make you feel stronger to be able to hold them in that, in that moment when they're sad so you can help them get through whatever the emotion is. Might go one way or the other and again this it's just different and i i really am not comfortable with the idea that it's only ever one thing because it'll be different in different situations because we're going through different experiences and your expression of symptoms may mean something different for me i could be oh i'm not going to do that um showing me that I have, I no longer have a belief in germs. That's been one of the things I've, uh, for a number of years, when people say, oh, they've got the snivels all bunged up or whatever, oh, stay away from me, I've got the lurgia, so don't worry, you've got nothing I can catch. And if they don't, it's a lot of times, sorry, <laughs> they just don't understand. And I, I haven't gone into it if they just don't want to know. But it's knowing that there's nothing you can pass so it'll be different in different situations. But as you say, it might trigger a resonance that my body kind of just says, oh yeah, purge time and can do the same thing. And it's not to say don't, I'm not saying don't take things that help you because if you're really uncomfortable, that's miserable. And it's to not take things to stop the symptoms, 
taking whatever it is, because I know you've, you've spoken to Amanda and she has lots of um, remedies to help. It, you're helping the body help itself to overcome and get through that and be stronger the other, coming out of the other side so that you can kind of cleanse and then be stronger to, to help to give your body the extra resources to be able to deal with whatever the process is to come through so that you're sort of stronger. And it's not just health, it's, it's vitality. This is something more than just health. There's something more to go, to go towards. Health is just not absence of symptoms. It's, there's something more energetic, something more vital behind it. Which would, of course, be inclusive of the vitality of your immune response, right? And how resilient you are to whatever the threat is, whether it's that sympathetic resonance with that you share with a sick person who's nearby or <coughs> something environmental or toxin exposure or whatever it is, right? It really is about the vitality and resilience uh, of your body. And, and as you said, <coughs> um, so importantly, your mental and emotional body, right? I mean, I think that's something that's really easy to see is that, <coughs> excuse me, that placebo thing of uh, the power of belief that if, if you have a cold or a flu and I strongly believe that it's contagious and then I spend some time with you or give you a hug or a kiss or whatever, that now I'm going to get it. You know, there's so much power in, in the mind. And I know times in which I've been uh, under a lot of emotional distress uh, I've gotten sick much more often than in times where I kind of have my shit together. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's really a lot to be said for that. And even in thinking about the, um, you know, what we call cold and flu season, right? Which I think my whole life I probably believed, oh, it's because it gets chillier outside generally, depending on where you live. But I thought about also from the perspective of, uh, you know, the holiday seasons, at least here in this country, we've got Halloween, we're eating tons of sugar. We've got Thanksgiving, we're eating tons of sugar and probably food that is less than healthy in some cases. And then you've got Christmas. It's like the holiday season is the time where we're probably the most toxic, most overindulgent in alcohol and sugar and all the other things, right? We're partying with the family. And then all of a sudden, oh, everyone's getting sick. You know, that and the barometric pressure changes, the changes in humidity. There's there's all kinds of factors going on that could rationally displace the contagion theory. Oh, absolutely. The, the post, um, I mean, we don't have Thanksgiving in England. Uh, however, Halloween is really becoming a thing where, you know, so lots of sweets, I mean, all sorts of occasions and excuses for children to eat sweets. And as you say, Christmas and that whole kind of holiday period, people are eating, I mean, yeah, sugary, sweet things, but richer food, they're sitting around, they're not working. So it's sort of, you know, sitting. It's, it's, I mean, it's great for people to, to get together. I mean, that's very nourishing in many ways, unless you have you know, kind of family problems. And sometimes people are reluctant. It's like, well, we'll go there for Christmas, not really wanting to. So again, it's that setting up some kind of energy barrier in, in what they're doing. They don't really want to do it and they're doing something. So even something as simple as that. Um, and there's, there's something else I've got to come back to that. So when when you're sort of putting a lot of 
new foods, richer foods, sweet foods, all that kind of stuff into your body and then expecting it to just carry on as normal. I mean, it might do for a time. And then in January, they call it flu season when people just, people's bodies just say, okay, time, time to clear this through. And they just call it flu season. And it's, of course, it's not. If people who are more, I say careful, I, 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 that's not judgmental. It's like people who don't indulge as much may not have, those sorts of symptoms because their body is doing the normal kind of cleansing. Their system is is clean. And it, again, it's, it's not, it sounds so judgmental to say your body's working fine and therefore the, the normal process, the elimination process is working. It's only when it kind of gets somewhat overloaded that these other symptoms are, occur. And so, you know, fevers, again, stop you from doing things and usually stop you from eating so because the body's just like enough give me a break i need a rest um and there was something else i was saying about i was going to go back to food changes in weather uh well yes yes changes in season changes in weather as as you say um changes in humidity because the body has to rebalance and there are some ideas that that's what is called malaria those symptoms are um the result of being in a very humid atmosphere because it was certainly common in England in the marshy areas where the it's pretty stagnant air, very humid, and people were drinking the water, which was not clean flowing water. So that's why people had the symptoms that then were called malaria or in England marsh fever. It's then called malaria. Now it's given something else and it's it's shifted from what it was originally into something else but of course that's because they want to be able to fight it and give drugs and get into Africa where people are poor and they have poor diets into those sorts of pockets of areas and just oh it's malaria it's the mosquitoes we need to get in there and interfere and they give them I see, again, this is sort of veering into the kind of stuff within the books. I was going to say it's, it's quite extensive where they, these poor malnourished children, and that's true, and they're giving them um, these food products. They're called, I mean, it should be inverted commas around the food. These products that contain, supposed to contain all these different things. And when you look at the ingredients, it's not really food. There's a lot of sugar and things, and it's it's not real food and so their their stomachs are filled but they're not nourished and i'll wherever it was i was going with the food i'll i'll have to come and it'll come back as we age it's almost cliche for us to start packing on a few extra pounds around the old belly area it just seems to be a natural byproduct of getting older and, of course, from eating more than our share of comfort foods, and yours truly is definitely guilty of both. And most of us like to look and feel fit, but apart from the vanity of having a flat tummy, increased abdominal fat is also associated with a higher risk of diabetes and heart disease. Now, of course, we can eat right and work out, but what if I told you there was an easy way to target abdominal fat and support your gut biome at the same time? Well, thankfully, there is. It's called SinFit by Infinity Biotechnology. SinFit is a breakthrough multi-strain symbiotic designed to reduce body fat by working with our gut flora. You might be asking, what is a symbiotic? Well, SinFit symbiotic is a combination of four ultra-powerful probiotic strains clinically demonstrated to fight the battle of the bulge. 
After they combine these strains, they're then synergized with a powerful prebiotic, all to create a novel and highly potent product for accelerated fat loss. If you want to check this stuff out and shed a couple pounds, here's what you do. Go to infinitybiotechnology.com and use the code LOOP10 to save 10% off your order. And the probiotics in SynFit, by the way, aren't just for fat loss. They're also to affect other important parameters such as key cardiovascular and metabolic health markers. So again, to tighten up that waistline, just go to infinitybiotechnology.com. Let's go to the medical system, you know, and we started out talking about how you interfaced successfully with the medical system somehow, you know, with a life-threatening illness. Um, What's always interesting to me when trying to just contemplate any of our uh, challenges as a society, as a human populace, is where did it start and what was it like before? Right. And so because I wasn't around before the 30s or 40s when the medical system that we find ourselves uh, entrenched in now existed, there were medicine people of different tribes and there was obviously herbalism and things like that uh, that are still kind of percolating in the underground. People like you and I are helping to bring that to the surface and make those ideas more available to people. But it seemed that uh, people that lived on the land throughout history found different ways of healing different issues. You know, if you think about medicines in the Amazon, I mean, there's probably things that thousands of compounds we're not even aware of in the West, right? That pockets of indigenous people are still using there and so on. And then at some point, this uh, Rockefeller organization comes in and starts to uh, vilify all methods of natural healing and introduce these uh, petroleum-based pharmaceuticals and whatnot. And then that infiltrated the education system so that, you know, doctors that were, were, were and are well-meaning become educated and slash indoctrinated into this system of, you know, surgery, poison, burn it out, rather than giving the body what it needs to heal. What's your perspective on, you know, the historical context of how we got in the mess we're in now and maybe where were we before and where can we kind of arrive in the future in an ideal situation. Mm, yes, I mean the Rockefeller medicine system came into this country in you know we're in the US. So uh came in here um it, well it started with the Flexner report of 1910. It was a slow build up um and it started long before that because there were people um if I correct from the 15th century that were using substances like mercury and arsenic-based compounds as so-called medicines. So what we have now is, is a progression of that because they were, as I say, they were using these toxic compounds for so-called healing in within certain parts of, I would say, the kind of so-called civilised West, you know, the US and the UK. So yes, um, I I don't know how much of it began in England. You know, there's the Royal College of Physicians, Royal College of Surgeons that were um, founded in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, centuries back in England. So um, 
you know, some of it started from that and the influence. And of course, you know, the, the influence came over here and they obviously thought it was quite a good model. I know the Rockefeller, um, some of the Rockefeller people took their ideas from Germany as well. So they went over to Germany using the use of um, different chemicals. So it's it wasn't just a sudden a sudden thing. It's just been a very slow, insidious step by step. Um, what is particularly different about then from now is that there were people who um, did things a different way, and so it wasn't the system being imposed on them. They're able to treat people in different ways. And one of the um, movements that we came across that gave that people were writing about was the called it was called natural hygiene movement. In it, it began, I mean, it began in this country in, in the US. I don't I don't think it really kind of developed anywhere else. Whereas the name suggests, the idea was to clean up the body and get rid of the bad eating and living habits. And then people, if they followed the advice of these um, practitioners, they would be healthy, which they were. Unfortunately, most of those practitioners were vilified and um, some of them spent time um, either in prison, fined or whatever. The people who were speaking out against uh, vaccines were, there were plenty in the late 19th century. So again, before the Rockefeller system came in, in, in England as well, and they used to have public debates. Imagine that. <laughs> public debates, speaking up for germ, or mainly really for vaccines, or not for or against. And there was a time in England, the, to, uh, the second half of the 19th century, where they had a mandatory vaccination for all babies, all, all young children, the smallpox vaccine. So it became mandatory, and it's it was in place for 40 years. 40 years. So... Um, Yes, we definitely don't want that to come back into fashion. So that that didn't work because actually people were more ill. So that it's it wasn't just as sudden the Rockefellers came in. Um, possibly they saw that there were opportunities of um, being able to take over the system by being able to monopolise the treatments that were given out. Um, and of course, one of the ways to do that is actually to find ways, as you say, to vilify all the other systems, these natural systems, and what better way than to make out that they're quacks? That's the usual word, but I mean, that's, there are various ideas of what that word is based on, but some people say it's, it's based on the quack, uh, well, the quicksilver, which is the word for mercury, so these people using mercury. Some people realised it was poisoned and other people just, well, if you're not getting better, well, we'll give you a bigger dose, so it's, we'll give you more. So these ideas were in the background and there were, of course, always natural healers using what's around them, using the what, what's in nature. Um, because, I mean, you're saying about dogs, sometimes dogs and cats, if they're not feeling well, they'll just go and eat grass or something. And, you know, they, they kind of know what to do. They'll, they'll look, they've got this intuitive understanding of, of how to look after their bodies and they, they look to nature. So, yes, we... We have a lot to learn from them. So it's going back to nature to know what we can use, what what our bodies will recognise as something that will support them as it as it restores health, cleans, you know, these different um herbs, medicines, plants that will help the body cleanse itself and then 
come out the other side and being being stronger you know support the body in doing what it needs to do and obviously depending on your health as you're going into this cleansing or purging so yeah there's it's it's quite interesting and so much of it there's a huge it's a huge topic i mean there's so much of it that it's not all covered in the book but it we we give a a bit of a background just to be able to help people see that it, it goes back a long time and and you know you can even again if it is, if we are crediting the, the people correctly, like Hippocrates, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. It's those kinds of ideas have been out there. Um, and it's just people who want to be able to control what's going on, control the system, which keeps us as, I mean, it, if nothing else, it keeps people as perpetual customers. It's a fantastic business model because they don't hate what they do doesn't help the body heal it's sort of just suboptimal functioning so your body doesn't quite work and because you're suppressing symptoms you're pushing whatever it is further in deeper and so your body then says okay that's not going to work a little bit later it'll try another purge you go well you suppress it and you're adding more into it and so eventually your your body's less able to function so more there's more breaking down of what's going on there's more um, malfunctioning of, of different tissues or it's they're not functioning, they're not, they're not um, performing optimally. And the longer this goes on, that's what then turns into a chronic condition. There are various different phases and then you get the chronic conditions because the body's just overloaded and it's, it's expression of cleansing or it's, its processes of cleansing have been suppressed. It's just it's not able to do that. So that's where the, you get the chronic conditions um, that when when I was looking at, at, at them, a lot of them are called idiopathic, which is basically a technical term for we don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what that term means, that they don't know what causes it. I mean, they really don't know because they don't understand the process of the, the body's natural processes. Or they, they say autoimmune, oh, your body's attacking itself. Oh, it's your genes. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's just bad luck. Oh, it's hereditary. And it's just always this outside. So, well, we don't know what it is, but we can give you a pill for it, as I said. So, It know. seems to me within the medical system and pharmacology that it's not, and I wish this wasn't true, and I, I hope it's not, but it seems to be, is that not only do many of the medications make someone a lifetime value customer because it doesn't heal the underlying issue. But many of these medications, uh, namely the childhood vaccine schedule, seem to cause so much harm that they then put someone in the position of being a lifetime value customer because of the, the actual, just the inherent harm of that initial dose or those initial series of doses of that medication then cascades into all of these other problems as they live their life that can't really be traced back to that and directly blamed to that. There's a correlation there that you can surmise, but can't really prove in, in many cases, say a kid has his regular series of vaccines and um, develops some issue in their 20s. Maybe they are fine in their childhood. You don't really know and you can't really prove. I mean, I think 
some things like autism and things, there have been more direct links, but just the general degradation of the human body that comes perhaps later in life, depending on a kid's resilience and just inherent, um, you know, resistance to that medication. But it, it, it seems pretty clear to me that unfortunately there is a nefarious agenda <laughs> intentionally harming people to set them up to be within that system and essentially just sap them of all of their resources and energy for the rest of their lives. Mm, the the um, effects of these products, whether they're vaccines, pharmaceuticals, whatever, are they're called side effects. Um, they're not the direct effects. You know, it's just side effects. It's, oh, well, it's not the effect we expected. You know, that's. but I think it's, true to say that every single pharmaceutical product has a list of side effects and very few people actually look at those um, first and sometimes I think if they did they might just say hmm, maybe, maybe I won't take this you know because it's like you know side effect wow that's far worse than how I'm feeling now the potential now it doesn't mean it'll happen in every case so that's the point because we are all different there aren't always the same effects it's not a straightforward oh give 10 people this and they will all have xyz at this point and it's it follows an absolute a fixed pattern that doesn't happen because we are all different and with the vaccine yes there are side effects and and as you, if side effects sorry effects yes that that can actually happen later in life and sometimes that even if they happened pretty soon after the medical system says, oh, nothing to do with that's just bad luck. You know, it's just one of those things that you would have got that anyway. And of course, nobody could prove that that would have happened without the vaccine. And, and that's it. You, you can't prove anything. And you can't prove that it was the vaccine or it was it would have happened anyway. And, and they rely on that because there's, there's no evidence. The, the other thing is that the body's efforts to purge, you know, small children, they may have all these... Um, what are called colds or flu or whatever, runny noses, all kinds of things, and or give them, um, is it Tylenol you have here or yeah, amoxicillin yeah. or whatever it is. So it's a, it's a viral infection, it's a bacterial infection or whatever it is. And so they've been given these medicines, suppress the symptoms, and continually just sort of suppressing symptoms in the small children. And maybe they might be all, all right for a while and just no longer express those kinds of symptoms because the body's, those processes aren't functioning properly. So later on, as you say, five, ten years later, their body says, okay, time to really sort of clear this out. And then, then somewhat more serious conditions, labels, you know, some more serious symptoms that are given these late other labels of more serious conditions. And And as you say, it's never traced back to, well, you know, because the child had Tylenol every other month for the first five years of their life because they had this cold, they're prone to colds. So therefore they got this medicine. This is the the whole idea that we're indoctrinated with these ideas and and made to believe in things that are called medicine. Oh, it's medicine. Oh, I'll take that and make me feel better. And the feeling better is the mistake. It's the oh the symptoms have stopped. Oh, therefore I'm better. No, the symptoms have stopped, and that doesn't mean the same thing as, oh, I'm better. Because as you say quite rightly, they're not addressing the underlying cause, and they're not allowing the body to really clear itself out. And if it is a vaccine, and as you say, I, I think 
any anybody that's had even one vaccine can possibly claim to be vaccine injured. I prefer not to kind of put that out there as, oh, that that's whatever it is, because our bodies are amazing. They can actually clear things out and when you make the changes and maybe have some different thoughts about what you put in and on your body, what you allow to happen to your body and understanding how you feel, and again, the emotional side, the stress, all those kinds of things, and, and looking after that and understanding what's going on. Literally, the, the power of belief, I mean, just this example of somebody I know who used to believe in the, you know, the germ going around and said, oh, every time there's a whatever it is, a cold, oh, I, I always get it. And of course they would because they've set that in the belief. And when they understood that that's, you know, germ theory isn't true, they go, oh, well, I, that's not about the germs. Um, and they didn't get the symptoms, the same symptoms. They didn't come out in sympathy with their co-workers or fellows or family members because they, their body didn't need to do that at the time because they literally changed the belief. So they, they weren't investing in that belief system. And, and it, it happens. It's, so it, it's always these different layers. And that's why when people say, well, if it's not a germ, what is it? And, and it's like, how many hours have you got? But it's not this one. And so it's this, you know, you just kind of transfer that into the, the idea. And so that's why it's, it's more complex. And it's still very interesting because we're still learning what affects our health, what kind of factors. So, um, yes it's the compromised health is um from these products uh, it's one thing to one understand and again as you say later in life and you think oh, i wonder if it's a vaccine it's not to think oh there's nothing i can do because there are plenty of people who are helping children who have received again a diagnosis of autism or the it's a spectrum um you know there are plenty of people who's children are being helped to come through that and again it's the other thing of course is the idea of normal this child isn't developing normally it's got to match these parameters you know the this that and the other at certain ages and that's that's again um sort of compartmentalizing us into well we're supposed to do this at this age we're supposed to be this and we're not these little materialistic blobs that we're all the same we're all different allow children to grow and maybe that child isn't ready to you know doesn't or just doesn't feel like interacting with people that day you know doesn't want to sit in the chair and listen to the teacher who's not inspiring them in any way you know maybe they're really creative and they don't want to deal with numbers that day or maybe they want to do numbers and they don't want to do something else you know that's it's not allowing for the, the, the children to be creative. So that can be given a label that is inappropriate. And it may not be to do with products. It may be to do with compartmentalizing and boxing a child into something that their, their system, their, their body, you know, their mind, their whole creativity is being suppressed and reduced and limited. Let me ask you something. Do you ever struggle with brain fog or sometimes find it hard to focus on a task? Do you ever have trouble recalling names, dates, or where you left things? 
Let's face it, we all get a little brain foggy or forgetful from time to time. And let me tell you, when I hit my 50s, I definitely needed to step up my nootropics game to stay on point. And ever since I first tried this stuff called Collagenius a few years ago, I became obsessed. I immediately felt calm and focused, my mind was clear, and my ability to memorize and recall information went up significantly. No joke. Collagenius comes in a delicious chocolatey powder that you can simply mix with water, smoothie, coffee, just about anything. When I got on Collagenius, it quickly became a non-negotiable ingredient in my morning cup. One scoop transforms my coffee or smoothie into a delicious mood-boosting mocha elixir. The stuff is wild. Every serving of Collagenius contains the equivalent of 1.2 pounds of mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. Now, each of those is a powerhouse in its own right, but together they make a potent blend that actually helps repair your brain. It boosts something called BDNF, which supports improved learning and memory. It also contains cacao and collagen, which provide antioxidants, mood support, improved brain function, and more. To get on board with this stuff, here's what you do. Go to newtopia.com slash lukegenius and use the code luke10. And seriously, if you want to upgrade your mental capacity, Collagenius is a no-brainer. See what I did there? And you can try it risk-free with Newtopia's money-back guarantee. So seriously, what are you waiting for? That's newtopia.com slash lukegenius, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A. And again, don't forget to use that code LUKE10 to save 10%. Yeah, a lot of false diagnoses going on there, I think. Yeah. We're going to put links to your books and all of your work at lukestory.com slash Dawn for those listening. And we'll put that in the show description. Before we wrap up here, I want to leave people with some practical tools if we can. And we can, I think, just generalize. But in the course of your research and your own life, what have been some meaningful methods of detoxification, you know, aside from obviously things we've talked about, um, mitigating EMF and not putting toxins on your body and in your body and all of that. But even if you live a really clean life, as we uh, discussed earlier, you're breathing air that's being sprayed with God knows what. And it's just really impossible to be on planet Earth just about anywhere now and not start to bioaccumulate some of this stuff. So um, have you looked into, you know, different fasting protocols or liver and gallbladder flushes or you know, are there um, thought leaders in the space of detox or different different methods that you've found to be effective for people? Um, there are different ways, and because our bodies are all different, we we have different needs. I mean, one of the things to remember is the body actually is detoxing all the time. That it's you know just the respiration, breathing toxins are coming out and through our skin, and and that's one of the major detox organs. That, so if people have spots and rashes, it's not that they've got something; it's their body's purging something. So again, through the other processes of of elimination, there's normal detoxing, and again, being careful not to overdo the efforts to detox because you you can actually. Um, bring out too many toxins into the system in one go and that can overload the system because it's the processes work in a certain way and if they haven't been working for a little while very well then if you suddenly give it a lot of work to do it's it's overwhelmed and so the processes need to be um they need to be supported first so it's there's ways to kind of improve the body 
before you then kind of introduce an actual detox. So, I mean, I know Amanda Volmer, who, who you've spoken to, I and mean, she has a whole load of different um, protocols and, and things to help support the body while it, it goes through those processes. I haven't used any specific protocols, just make changes to have clean water. You know, I mean, at the moment, it's distilled water. I would love to live live near a spring where I could have fresh spring water. I don't at the moment. So at the moment, distilled water works for me. Um, to eat sort of, you know, clean food and to to reduce exposures. That's the first thing to do before you start any kind of protocol and to be just aware of of what you're exposing yourself to and if you know if you have a if you really feel ill one of the things you to rest and water fasts uh definitely can be one way of helping your body to not have to do the work not put the energy into digestive system as we're saying because that takes a lot of energy so if that's not having to work, then it can actually um, get on with sort of these other processes. But it, it will always depend on each person. And that's why it's it's almost impossible to make any kind of generalization because everyone's in a different space as to where their bodies are, depending on their exposures, on their health, on their mindset and everything else that they're doing. And again, in terms of nutrition, I'm not going to go into this diet thing. I know different people have different diets. And one of the things that I think is important is how you feel about your food, to enjoy your food, what you eat, and not to make it sure, not to, because what you're doing is, is if you're kind of, I'm supposed to eat this because it's good for me, and you're putting that reluctant energy, you're then putting that back into your body. So again, it's the energetic and the intention that you're putting back into your body and realizing that that is going to have an effect. So if you aren't feeling pleasure with what you're about to eat, you might need to sort of think about that. And so again, it's not the the actual constituents of that meal. It's how you are and how you feel and sitting and not this rush, rush around, I'll just stuff and some food in because it's energy so again it's not just the actual physical food it's it's the intention of, of what you're putting into your body as well so I suppose really to answer your question no actual protocols I I haven't um I haven't ever kind of looked into um I mean there are certain things to help support your body I mean there's things like the tissue salts the um cell salts tissue salts um, which are, I mean, they're homeopathic, but they're not homeopathic remedies as such. They are providing your body with minerals, so topping up minerals. And um, what else? I, I, I can't think. It's, uh, uh, but I don't, I don't have recommendations of or suggest or, or even general idea of particular protocols because we are all different. So. Um, I know yeah. people try different things and see what works. If it works for you, great. And it might, what somebody else is doing and recommending. And again, just just be aware of what, what you're doing and what you're trying to do. And it's not necessarily, oh, I've got to detox, I've got to detox, because your body actually is detoxing. And it's, it's a question of supporting it while it goes through those processes. And there are 
loads of ways to, loads of protocols out there, loads of ways. And, you know, natural substances, natural products, natural herbs, natural plants will support the body because we are connected to nature. And so your body will recognize something natural coming in and, and be able to, you know, and this will be supported by that. Right on. Thank you. I love it. And, you know, for those listening, we've done tons of shows with detox experts that have laid out their their protocols and stuff. But I think a key distinction there that you made is that, um, you know, going into any sort of a detox, regardless of how intensive it is, is not anything that our body isn't already doing. <laughs> right? Our body's doing that 24-7 for our entire lives. So it's, it's not like some unique thing that we're introducing to the body. But of course, there are ways to do it safely and more, you know, in a bioidentical sense, right? What you need in any given time. Your detox would look different than mine because of all sorts of um, contributing factors. I know I'm not saying don't look at detox protocols. I, yeah. I don't have a particular one i don't use anything in particular and different people will be drawn so it's really to see which ones you are drawn to because if you trust your intuition you trust yourself you will find the right protocol and you can try it and you think oh no i didn't quite like that or just try these things and i as i say i'm i'm not saying don't i'm just sort of looking at the the basics of how it actually works. Our body is detoxing and and these protocols can can help kind of clean because I know we can be seriously overwhelmed by certain um, exposures. So sometimes the body needs help in a particular way because it's just suddenly really heavily overloaded and it's, it happens. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you'd like to share with us? Oh, wow. Um, uh, I suppose Bruce Lipton for the, the effect of our beliefs over our body. I mean, came across that book in soon after the first edition came out. So might have been 2006, seven, something like that. I can't remember exactly. So that was quite an eye-opener that we really can affect our health. Um, wow. Uh, I think possibly, uh, I mean, he's referred to quite a lot in the book, Herbert Shelton of the uh, a natural hygiene practitioner. I mean, he his writings, are he's quite fierce against the medical system and how toxic and bad it is and the vaccines. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree 100% with everything However, the, he had success. I mean, I think he was, I think he was imprisoned. He was certainly hounded and vilified. I mean, it's amazing. He, he did have a long life. He was um, uh, a doctor of chiropractic and a naturopathic doctor as well. Um, he lived in his, like through the early 20th century. I think he died in 1980 something. So again, it was his, his natural approach to kind of get people off really heavy process kind of food and um and to just clean their bodies and you know that they were healthy if they took his advice who's the third one wow um there are so many it's so difficult um 
trying to. Oh, it's so, it's so difficult. <laughs> I can let you off the hook with two. It's just, it's just there are so many of, of leading into what's what's been the book. Also, you know, since the book, um, and, and in terms of um, our, I mean, I love the work of Eileen McCusick and the the, the bio, human biofield, and um, there's so much in what she says about how we are more than the body and our biofield and where that's where our energy and we can do so much with that. So, so yes. I like like that one because I I interviewed her yesterday and had a session with her the evening before and I'm like blown away. It really, really got me thinking, um, contemplating things in a different way. It's really cool. Yeah, she she's lovely. I mean, yeah, it's um, very interesting. I was like, how have I not heard of this before? I, who who knows? I thought I'd just about gone through every different modality you could, and that one was new to me. Her, oh right, her work's really cool. Yeah, and Bruce Lipton too has been a big one for me. He was on the show a few years ago. I don't remember the episode number, but we'll put it in the show notes at lukestory dot com slash dawn, uh, and then people can listen to that one. Yeah, so. I'm with you on those two. I hadn't heard of the the middle one, but uh, now I know. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a blast. I love talking to you. I love listening to your accent. <laughs> I love the British accent. It's my, probably my favorite. I don't know if it goes the same way, but I think Americans are often really enthralled with the British accent. I don't know if when we go over there, you guys are like, ooh, I love your American accent. I never got that. But uh, it's great to chat with you and get to know you a bit today. Thank you. Um, I I think, well, yes, I mean, some of us like the American accent, only there are various different accents, and there are the same in, in Britain. I mean, I'm from the South, kind of originally from London, not Cockney, but, you know, that's that's okay. Um, it, I mean, it's been lovely when, I'm, when I've been here, the, you know, Americans say, oh, I love your accent. Uh, within Britain, there are there's a whole range of accents, and the further north you go, um, some of them are even difficult for me to they, understand. They get trippy, yeah. Mm. I even have a friend from Manchester, and I mean, I can understand him, but it's very different than a Londoner, you know. Even even just that far north, you know, is quite different. But yeah, when I traveled there, I did notice that it, it starts to like meld into a Scottish accent, the closer you get to Scotland, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in between, there's all these permutations of the two. It's 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 interesting, yeah. Mm, well, slightly further north of Manchester, you get into the Newcastle area with the, and what's called the Geordie accent, and that's really strong. Some of them is yeah. just, I would struggle, some, or I struggle sometimes to really understand them. So again, you know, it's different accents, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, this is my accent. I mean, it's it's lovely to hear because there is this kind of love hate with America and Britain. I don't I don't know. Um, however, I I've had nothing but love from the people here and such a warm welcome. So I don't think. Well, I'm I'm pleased that nobody's holding anything against me. You know, so it's just represent. But it's yeah, it's, it it is an interesting. It has been interesting with um, how people pronounce my name. Yeah, it's like when I say dawn, pardon? Dawn. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, no, and it's like dawn. I just, it, I can't, it doesn't work if I say dawn. And go, huh? <laughs> so, it, so I spell it. Yeah. So it's just really difficult. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm, you know, thank oh, you. Oh, it's yeah. just been 
Brilliant. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of your stay in America, in Texas. Hey, speaking of uh, freedom, you know, Texas is is one of the most free states here. I mean, I don't know how free anywhere in the world is really, but what's the what's the area of the UK or of England specifically, I guess, that is uh, is the Texas? Like, what region do you have the highest number of kind of freedom oriented people? I don't know is the honest answer to that. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, yes, I mean there there may be different counties that are somewhat more free than others. I, I can't honestly tell you. I mean, I know there are pockets where there are lots of freedom-oriented. There's a place called Brighton on the south coast. I mean, there, there's, you know, um, and just, just little pockets. But again, it might be in just one part of one area. So it might not be the whole county. It might just be little pockets where freedom-oriented people are, are gathering. Um, right. But, you know, in a big city or town nearby, they're following the mainstream, you know, with those sort of masks. I mean, there are still people occasionally wearing masks. It's yeah, the minority around, now. Driving around in their car by themselves. <laughs> walking their dog walking their dog in the fresh air. Fresh air. Oh, I know, man. All right. Well, hopefully we reach some sane people today and if not, help those that are insane find their way closer to the mark. So thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. <laughs>